Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com slash fool. That's three O's, so B-L-O-O-O-M 401k.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and we're in the Full HQ studio today, pre-recording this show for Tuesday, June 26th. As you may have heard, we are in the middle of our latest theme week as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of The Motley Fool. The Garner Brothers founded the company in 1993 with an investment newsletter distributed to, as Tom and David describe it, a rather small group of friends and family. But now The Fool's reaching millions of investors and empowering them with the tools they need to take control of their financial future. And to celebrate the occasion, I'd like to take this episode as part of the theme week and talk about investing in the context of companies and innovations that inspire. So we've covered upcoming trends before, but that's typically been limited to the next year or maybe the next several years. But what about 25 years from now? Uh, There are no doubt companies right now thinking about or even implementing technologies and best practices that will be the standard in the year 2043. So joining me for this episode is Senior Motley Fool contributor Asit Sharma, as usual, connecting with the studio on Skype. Hey, Asit, hope all's well. Everything's well, and I find it very fun that we are doing a show on the future but speaking to you listeners from the past. <laughs> exactly. <time> <laughs> yes, very good point. So uh, before we start digging in here, um, I'll start by grounding the discussion, uh, just grounding the discussion a little bit. So keep in mind that 25 years ago, uh, only one in five people had personal computers in their home. And traditional retail establishments like shopping malls were still enjoying their heyday. So the concept of e-commerce was bleeding edge, and the term itself had not even been coined yet, depending on whom you ask. So given how much can and has changed in a quarter of a century, I'll confess that what started as a somewhat orderly plan and outline for this show kind of fell apart as Asin and I kept stumbling on these pretty cool private startups and larger companies, too, that are pushing the limit on both how businesses can operate more efficiently and also make the consumer experience that much better. So let's start uh, with one of your picks, Asset, uh, a company that you had mentioned to me was the Trade Desk, ticker TTD. And coincidentally, shares of Trade Desk have already doubled in 2018. So clearly, there's a lot, quite a bit of interest from the market right now in this company. Um, I'm curious what is going on with Trade Desk and uh, what you think they're doing that kind of points to the next 25 years. So many of the companies that we talk about on this show, Vince, are trying to reach consumers. It's a consumer goods show. Um, Trade Desk is a technology company that really levels the ad buying, the marketing space for traditional consumer goods companies. So in the old way of doing things, you would go to an advertising agency if you're a consumer goods company, and they still do. Um, And you have a budget, write a check, and the advertising agency will take care of all the various media spends. Um, What Trade Desk enables companies to do is to use their budgets for programmatic ad buying. That's ad buying that's partially run by algorithms. It's ad buying across media that's very efficient, targeted, using data to hit um, your consumers, your target market uh, via a number of channels. So it's not just online, but TV, um, audio, that's radio, um, even uh, traditional advertising types. So I'm very interested, you know, just to kick off the conversation, we should think about companies that understand how we'll be consuming our different media. And this is a very interesting company in the fact that it's so targeted and uses data science to help make each dollar more efficient. Now, 
That's not to say that the old way of marketing is going away. We have the World Cup going on right now. The big companies which sponsor major events will always have this traditional route of advertising, which is sort of a mass approach for everyone. And that's how you build brands. But from getting to just building brands to converting customers, whatever the discipline is, companies like the Trade Desk will make uh, other companies, that is those who sell the goods in the marketplace, a lot more efficient. Yeah, I the thing that really surprised me when I was looking into this company, uh, in terms of ad spending, you know, digital ad spending has grown so quickly from less than $5 billion in the late 90s to over $200 billion last year, now surpassing some of the traditional mediums like television. And uh, some of the tech that Trade Desk implements, uh, the algorithms, and this kind of auction-based model, it allows them to handle an incredible number of ad spots. Um, I think the number that I saw was uh, 60 million per minute, or per second even, it's like billions and billions of these spots per day. And that's not something that a traditional ad buyer is going to be able to, it's just too much information, there's too much out there. So having this kind of programmatic model, uh, it's definitely really interesting, I think. Uh, it definitely is something that is more sustainable and uh, reflects more likely what we're going to see uh, going forward in the future. And then related to that, uh, on the data side, uh, you put New Oriental Education on our radar. Uh, this was a new name for my watch list. The company trades under ticker EDU, and it offers test preparation and tutoring resources to students in China. Uh, revenue was up to $2.2 billion for the trailing 12-month period. Um, what's the pitch for this one? So New Oriental is a company that we actually have mentioned just in passing on the show, and we we're going to include it on a show um, in which we talked about some other educational companies, uh, to you and Check. This was about a year ago. We just didn't have time. It's an interesting company. This is China's largest private provider of educational services. Uh, so looking at that huge population in China, the middle class, which is often, hear this analogy all the time, it's as big as the United States and growing, there is a stampede because of that population being so competitive uh, if you think about being a student, the odds of you placing in an exam, a national exam against thousands of other students, those probabilities are a lot lower than countries with smaller populations. So there's a, a massive need for companies which only tutor or provide sort of secondary services to students. That's what New Oriental specializes in. And I really like their forward use of technology in that they have applied artificial intelligence to tutoring. One example is a um, app that they have called RealSkill, and RealSkill helps Chinese students learn English. Such a valuable skill uh, on the international stage. If you're going on to further education, uh, you're going to get a PhD or perhaps even be in trade. Um, any type of global commerce that you might participate in in the Chinese workforce, you'll need to speak English, and, and that is a sought-after skill on the Chinese mainland. So this app, RealSkill, helps Chinese students learn English by uh, looking at essays that the students write. So you write an essay as a student, you take a photograph and upload it to the server. The server instantly grades that just based on artificial intelligence and gives you feedback. Now, it's said to be 93% accurate. In other words, 93% accurate in terms of what a, a accomplished English teacher might, uh, how that teacher might grade. I'm not so sure of that as yet, but I admire the um, technology. 
Which brings me to one more related company. We've talked about Chegg on this show before. They are the company which started as a um, rental textbook company for students and now has moved into the tutoring business. Well, Chegg just acquired a German company called Kojian in October of last year for about $15 million. Kojian, similar, similar to New Oriental, has an app called Math42. And if you're a high school investor listening to us, maybe you want to take a look at this app before school starts up in the fall again. It's pretty interesting. So similar to this other app, RealSkill, Math42 lets you solve problems, and then it will take you step-by-step step through what you did wrong. And it also uses artificial intelligence to do assessment and adaptive learning. So once the program gets a sense of what your weaknesses are uh, in a particular math discipline, it can highlight what you need to work on and cut down your workload, make you more efficient, and improve your score that way. So I thought these are two companies which uh, are have done actually very well in the stock market, but also have interesting forward-looking products, which will help them uh, increase revenue in the years to come. Awesome. Uh, I think the AI uh, essay um, grading, especially from New Oriental, is pretty incredible. Uh, you think, you know, I think back to my days doing Scantron tests, and that's about as far as these <laughs> systems could go in terms of grading, you know, just figuring out where, which little black dot you filled in with a pencil, and that was about as good as it gets. And now, having technology to uh, to read, and not only that, interpret and grade uh, something as sophisticated as, you know, a written essay is just really incredible. Um, I'm going to change directions now, though, and pivot us a little bit towards retail, uh, both Operationally and also in terms of the consumer experience, um, one company that you brought up us uh, that you want to talk about was called Trax, which is private. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Trax is a company which uses data science to help consumer packaged goods companies compete more effectively in the grocery market. If you've invested in companies that are uh, beverage providers or packaged goods providers, just to name a few, Coca-Cola. Um, Procter & Gamble, Campbell's Soup. If you invest in these very staid and venerable names, you already know that these stocks have either flatlined or perhaps have lost some value. The reason is that retail grocery uh, shelf has become disrupted by online commerce. When I order my groceries online and then drive up and pick them up, take them away, I'm not even going to the store, so I don't see what's happening in the store. And this makes it a lot harder for the big companies to compete with newer brands that are popping up and grabbing shelf space. Now, if you are a company like Coca-Cola, you need a tool to help you uh, understand how you need to position your products and even replace the old manual audit process. And this is the process where a field representative walks in with a clipboard um, nowadays, okay, maybe they have a tablet and they mark off what the inventory looks like on the shelves. They look at competitors positioning on the shelves. They look at what's happening around uh, the beverage space to see where the stack is on the endpoints uh, on, on the shelves. All of this manual collection of data uh, is quickly becoming a thing of the past. Tracks helps companies by using a process which is extremely interesting. A field rep now goes in and takes a picture. That picture is uploaded to a server, which then pummels the image and related images with a lot of data and provides analytics to a company like Coke to say, hey, 
And not only is your, your order point need to be adjusted, but we noticed that the salty snack uh, has come pretty close by in, in many grocery stores. And our data tells us that putting a sweeter drink on the shelf close by might help. So it provides all kinds of intelligence that the big consumer packaged good companies haven't had access to. Therefore, it's going to help these companies get somewhat of their edge back. The longer term picture, we can talk about this on a subsequent show, is still sort of difficult. But uh, this is another, again, company using data science analytics to help forward uh, consumer goods. Yeah, I think that this is a shield, right? This is a shield for these companies to kind of navigate the fact that a lot of consumer preferences are changing. And I really like uh, like this idea because it's a very elegant solution to the kind of problem that even as a longtime follower of companies like Coca-Cola, I did not realize that they struggled with some of this reporting and inspection, for example, of the shelving for their products. And then you find out that it can take a long time for the company to get feedback on uh, the presentation on the shelf, how that performs at the store with the displays. And uh, these companies are very cognizant of their packaging, their labels and everything, and how that uh, changes you know, the consumer's interaction and experience with the brand. So the more immediate feedback that a company like Trax can offer, I, that can pretty substantially impact uh, you know, the sales for the areas where things are optimized. It can affect growth. So really interesting overall. Uh, next up, we're going to cover uh, some related ideas in terms of the kind of store aisle experience and how that's changing. Thanks to Bloom for supporting Industry Focus. Do you have a 401k? Do you remember how frustrating it was to figure out your investments without professional help? Now there's a better way to grow your retirement savings. Bloom is a simple, smart, and affordable way to grow your 401k. Go online to bloom401k.com and simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps. Then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. From finding the right mix of funds for your retirement goals to monitoring your account and making adjustments so your funds stay balanced as you get older, Bloom researches, invests, manages, and grows your 401k while you get to sit back and relax. It takes just five minutes, and pricing is only $10 per month, regardless of your account size, because Bloom believes everyone deserves simple, affordable access to professional financial help. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part about this is remembering there are three O's in Bloom. Go to bloom401k.com fool and enter promo code fool for your first month free and see the difference Bloom could make in your retirement. Okay, so going back to the kind of the consumer experience in the store, uh, what we're talking about with tracks reminded me a little bit, the concept at least, reminded me a little bit of Amazon Go. And this is the convenience store that made headlines early this year when Amazon opened it to the public. And if you recall, uh, the the what makes the store so unique is that there are no checkout lines at Amazon Go. So instead, customers swipe into the store, they connect the shopping basket to their accounts, and then they just take whatever they want off the shelf and walk out. You know, people have already referred to this as the store of the future. Um, I've seen some recent headlines say that Walmart companies like Walmart and Microsoft are trying to find similar. Um, competing systems to this Amazon Go model. Uh, so maybe there is some stickiness here to the idea. Um, but 
this system or what Amazon Go has built out, you know, it ultimately makes for a smoother, faster trip to the store for the consumer. Um, they also argue that employees can better spend their time focused less on the point of sale and more on service. So that initiative, at least for Amazon, it's getting expanded outside of the original Seattle locations to potentially Chicago and Los Angeles as well. But um, before we get too sidetracked on that, I think the key innovation here is related to tracks in terms of the interaction with products at the store because Amazon Go in terms of the sensors that they've built that track what people put on, take off the shelf or put back on or whatever they put in their their bag or their basket, whatever it may be, they collect data on that. And I think uh, it shows exactly how, or at least closer to how people interact with different products. And the analogy I'd bring up here, uh, the one we were talking about before uh, we came into the studio was Netflix, because I've seen complaints recently in some of the TV and film communities and blogs I follow about the quality of Netflix originals, for example and other content in the library. And they'll say the originals are no good. It makes no sense the company can spend billions of dollars per year on what makes up a lot of what they consider bad movies. But frankly, uh, Netflix knows, I think, what its subscribers watch better than even the subscribers themselves sometimes. Because everything from how the content is consumed to when, on what device, did you finish the episode? Um, how about the entire season? Did you pause a movie and go back or end up abandoning it? All these things, all these trends in the genres, the popularity of specific actors and directors can be analyzed based on the platform that Netflix has built. I know that retailers, for example, would kill for that kind of granular data. Uh, if a department store like Nordstrom, for example, could see uh, how people navigate the racks at their store, what they pick up, what they actually try on, the brands, the colors, having that kind of granularity would be an incredible boon for these companies. And I feel like Trax, Amazon Go, they're building out the technology that's getting to a getting to a point where we're getting closer and closer to that being a possibility, that level of sophistication. And it's just, uh, I think that it's going to be very powerful in terms of, you know, the companies uh, matching the the products they're putting in their stores with the demand of what consumers want, and ultimately that being a better experience over for everyone involved. Um, the next example uh, I'd like to bring up is with uh, two companies that uh, you called out to me, and those are with Alibaba and IKEA. You want to talk a little bit about that? So Alibaba, very interesting company. Obviously, uh, as many of our investors know, competitor to Amazon. Uh, also wants to be a dominant force in world e-commerce. They have a virtual reality shopping mall, which, interestingly enough, hasn't really taken off. Uh, it's still in experimental uh, phase, and basically you need a VR headset to shop this mall. But once you do, you can sort of walk through this uh, un unpopulated retail experience. There aren't other people walking around. You can look at an item and point to it and basically by looking, purchase the item. Uh, I've talked about Singles Day on this show before, and that's the day once a year that Alibaba has its big uh, e-commerce day and, and runs a lot of promotions. And that's sort of a, a watermark for this technology that should occur in October of this year. We'll see um, how that comes along. But I'm very interested in the fact that companies are now using virtual reality to uh, substitute for these large-scale, uh, very walking-intensive brick-and-mortar experiences that we have. I personally have um, written about companies like TJX, that's TJ Maxx. You walk into a TJ Maxx, um, and you can see that traffic isn't going anywhere. That company is doing very well. Malls, on the other hand, seem deserted. 
And it's um, a function of the technology that in reducing this, having to go through a mall, but being able to, to look and purchase what you want, may spell the doom of uh, larger brick and mortar, big box retail, but it may make it more vibrant uh, in the future. I actually think that because um, a company like IKEA is testing this technology, uh, we'll see modifications to the actual physical experience. So just to take a little segue, IKEA is employing a very similar technology, which will let customers, instead of traversing that huge store and having a few arguments with your spouse over a long day, you can put on the goggles and go right to the section that you're interested in and potentially order furniture. So this is also in development. It's not going to replace the IKEA experience, but it may mean that they get more incremental sales. So I think where we're headed with virtual reality headsets for uh, is not necessarily a replacement of brick and mortar experience, but an enhancement of to make it more efficient. The bottom line though, is, as we've talked a lot in the past couple of years, only the most efficient stores with the strongest attractors of traffic are going to survive. Yeah, I will add to that, um, and this is kind of the last idea that I had uh, for these trends uh, and some of these uh, technologies and innovations that have really uh, jumped out to us. And it's similar to this example of what IKEA is doing with the showrooming, um, but also we've talked previously, uh, you know, Lowe's trying to use virtual reality technology to give people the ability to uh, get a sense of what that remodeling project might look like, what the home might look like. And um, it, it's that they're testing that and it's a really interesting way to engage their customers and interact with their customers, get them thinking about projects. Maybe uh, if seeing the room with uh, the new uh, the new walls, uh, some of the new curtains, and 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 with the new hardwood floors, for example, will inspire them to take action on that remodel a little bit more quickly. But the other example I wanted to call out, um, and this was also in more recent news from the past year, is. With Nordstrom, for example, and their Nordstrom local, these concept stores, much smaller locations, uh, practically zero inventory compared to their full-size, full-line department stores, um, very service-focused. But all, but some things that are ta- uh, that the way that they approach it is kind of like a fitting room, a, a big fitting room for a customer to come in, try things on, and then with the virtual reality application, uh, the thing that I think uh, could really um, change that part of the consumer shopping experience is uh, small companies. Uh, one I found uh, that was profiled by the National Retail Federation is called ZKit, how they can scan, get a scan of your body so that the sizing and the way f- things fit on you is much more accurate. And then you have a company like Stitch Fix that collects tons of data points on each garment, how it fits, uh, the exact measurements in certain places. So again, in that case, for their their use of data, they want to know that uh, the customers that are about to get some uh, item of clothing in their next fix is going to fit well for them. Well, if you combine these two things, I feel like you create a really ripe uh, opportunity for what amounts to a virtual dressing room. And I've seen this idea in movies, for example, before, in books before. It's not quite there yet, though you have companies like ZKit working on it. And some of the uh, the demonstrations that I've seen are pretty compelling. Um, you know, you can have your face, instead of seeing, you know, random models on a page while you're shopping online for a new jacket, for example, it's you 
on the page. And I, th- I think that can be really powerful as a way to engage with customers. And uh, another industry that has started to leverage this a little bit is you know, car manufacturers. At car shows, for example, they will use virtual reality so you can see the interior of a new model so that they can showcase uh, a virtual showroom with uh, a lot of different uh, models of the vehicles that they're producing and see them in that way without actually going to a dealership, for example. And this is definitely getting more uh, into the kind of wilder territory in terms of some of the trends that we're seeing that we've talked about. But this is one that I've just been uh, just think is really cool. And and the possibilities are kind of just up to what people can imagine and then applying the technical expertise needed to make it happen. So I will end with that. Any final comments from you, Asset? Yeah, absolutely. One uh, thought, overarching thought about, we'll use fashion as the metaphor, but when you're looking at companies which are employing technology in the future in the consumer goods space over the next year or two, and you're trying to figure out what's good to invest in, it should be on either end of the technology spectrum. So either you're going to look at a company like Trade Desk, which is more of a technology company, um, and is just using analytics to do one thing, which is to make ad buying more efficient with a lot of uh, really cool permutations. Or you're looking for a combination of technology, but high touch. Um, And by that, I mean, let's take Vince's examples of both um, Stitch Fix and also Nordstrom. They have something very similar in in common. When you go into the Nordstrom local store, there's a lot of technology there that can help you uh, figure out what you should be wearing. But they also have this stylus there to help you um, someone who's very knowledgeable to assist you in figuring out, yep, this looks good on you. The same actually is employed over at Stitch Fix in that that, that company, as, as we talked about on a recent show, uses a lot of algorithms to figure out what they should send you next. But you also have this function of the stylus. And there is um, what, what Stitch Fix calls a collaborative algorithm. It's working with the customer to try to find out what's best for that customer his or her sense of style, what they've worn before, ordered before, uh, what their needs are, fashion needs are. So when you see companies that have sort of, for lack of a better term, I'll call it the humanity to combine uh, great data science algorithms, analytics with a personal touch for the consumer, you know you have a winner there. We talked about uh, Nike maybe even a couple of years ago now in terms of personalization and customization. That's the key to figuring out um, alongside a good set of financials if you should invest in one of these forward-looking consumer companies for the long term. Yeah, I know we've mentioned uh, quite a few different tickers and companies today. Um, We really use those to kind of showcase some of these uh, trends and these really exciting developments. Um, But overall, uh, you know, I think that is a really good way to put it. It's with the way people are trying to uh, look at the consumer now. Uh, the service side of it is very important. The personalization side of it is very important. And then coupling that with a unique experience uh, to get people in the store. Uh, sometimes that might be having a uh, having really good inventory turnover, whether you're TJ Maxx, or that might be completely changing what your store is like with some of the new concept stores, pop-up shops that are out there. Um, but again, for consumer retail, 
those are just some of the trends that really inspired us to look for what companies are excelling with some of these developments. And uh, you know, we'll definitely be following those and tracking those for the next 25 years. Thanks a lot, Asif, for being here. Thanks very much, Vince. Good to be here. Fools, uh, thanks again for tuning in. I'll be back next week. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Motley Fool may have for more recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Fool on. Fool on.